Good morning. Great to see you this hobo day, weekend, whatever we call it. You know, I was thinking about our festivities in uh, Brookings over the last uh, day or two, and it reminded me of several areas that I've lived in the course of my lifetime. We lived in uh, Pella, Iowa for eight years, and down in Pella and Orange City, Iowa, at uh, uh, the springtime of the year, during May, they had this thing called tulip time. That's how they do their celebration. And I remember one year in Pella, the tulips didn't bloom, whatever. And it was like a major disaster. And everyone was all worried about it. They shipped in 150,000 tulips to make sure that the day went off well. It was a little town of 8,000 that at that time, during tulip time, would have about 100,000 people come through it. So it was kind of a busy day. Well, then living in, in, in Northwest North Dakota, they had this festival called uh, Hoosfest over there in Minot, which was a Norwegian Scandinavian festival and uh, kind of commemorating that, that heritage. And then I come back to Brookings. I was here f- prior to this, and we have Hobo Day. I'm not sure what that means, but it was a fun day and it was a very enjoyable parade yesterday and all that kind of stuff. So uh, it's fun to kind of compare and contrast. You know, we tend to do more comparison and contrast than we realize in life to maybe get to decisions and ideas on things. Um, lately, the, the Norby family, Vicki and I, have been trying to buy a car. Oh my goodness. There's so many options, so many things. I've drove so many cars I don't want and trucks and, and uh you know, it was getting really old. Finally, we got to a decision point yesterday, and Vicki said as we were driving home, can we not talk about this again ever? Then I said, yeah, it's time to be done. But that we, you know, by that comparison and contrasting, what you hope to do is get to really a, a wise, good decision. And it's interesting to me that in the Bible, God uses comparison and contrast frequently to teach us lessons. Um, the story we're going to look at today in 1 Samuel is really a comparison and contrast of the priest Eli and the prophet Samuel. And their stories are just woven together, and it's just an interesting comparison and contrast because, because they both kind of come to this fork in the road in their life. They come to this fork in the road in their life, and, and at that moment, they have to both decide, do I silence the voice of God, or do I listen to the voice of God? Eli silenced the voice of God, and that took him down a path that led ultimately to uh, judgment and destruction. Samuel heeded, he listened to the voice of God, and his life turned out quite differently, um, being blessed by God, and he became known as a prophet uh, whose words were sure and and true. So I'm going to begin this morning by reading to you some scripture from 1 Samuel chapter 2, uh, verses 12 through 36. It's a long section of scripture. I'm not reading it all. I'm going to read pieces of it and talk to you about the rest, okay? But this basically gives you most of the story of Eli and some of the story of Samuel. And right away here, we can begin to see that their lives are being compared and contrasted. But boy, what a different, different life these two were were living. Listen to verse 12. Eli's sons were what? Scoundrels. Now Eli was a priest over Israel as well as his sons. Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. Uh, here's what was going on. Let me give you uh, just a quick summary. The priests at that time, part of the way that they got fed was the sacrifices would come and be done and they'd boil the meat. 
And they would plunge a fork into the, into the boiling pot or cauldron or whatever. And what they pulled out was their portion. That's what they were to receive from that sacrifice as food. But they didn't like boiled meat. They wanted to roast their meat. They liked to have a barbecue, okay, instead of having boiled meat. So they told their servants, you go take that meat raw from people because we want to roast it. So the, the, the servants of, the, of these uh, of, of Eli's sons would then threaten people, give him, give the, you know, give these priests this, this raw meat. And so it, the sacrifice was being profaned. It was being uh, just uh, scandalized. Um, and so there you got the introduction to Eli and, and the boys. Not a good introduction. Now, you get kind of an introduction to Samuel here a little bit. It's found in verse 18, but Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer annual sacrifice. Quite a contrast. So you got the scoundrels and Eli not really addressing them, and then you got little Samuel being dressed up in this little ephod by a God-fearing mom who heard her husband would come up for the annual, uh, you know, annual sacrifice and always bring him a new robe. And, and you kind of see this comparison contrast thing already happening. Now, now jump down to verse 22. Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the temp of, temp of meeting. So he said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, the report I hear spreading among the Lord's people is not good. If a person sins against another, God may mediate for the offender. But if anyone sins against the Lord, who will intercede for them? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. And the boy Samuel, here we go, comparison contrast again. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. Now, something interesting happens. Uh, a man comes, a prophet comes, and he rebukes Eli uh, for his lack of addressing his boys. Listen, uh, his boys' inappropriate behavior. Listen to this. It takes place in verse 27. Now, a man of God came to Eli and said to him, this is what the Lord says. Did I not clearly reveal myself to your ancestors' family when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your ancestors out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your ancestors' family all the food offerings presented by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel? Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that members of your family would minister before me forever, but now the Lord declares, far be it from me. Those who honor me, I will honor but those who despise me will be disdained. The time is coming when I'll cut short your strength and the strength of your priestly house so that no one in it will reach old age. And you will see distress in my dwelling. Although good will be done to Israel, no one in your family line will ever reach old age. Every one of you that I do not cut off from serving at my altar, I will spare only to destroy your sight and sap your strength. And all your descendants will die in the prime of life. And what happens to your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, will be assigned to you. They will both die on the same day. And I'll raise up for myself a faithful priest, okay? And that's why I'm going to stop reading this morning. So we see a grave difference here between Samuel and Eli, right? When I read this stuff that's going on about Eli and his boys, you know what my response is? Oofda, right? This is not good. 
These are, are you kidding me, kind of verses. God is deeply disturbed by the hearts and lives of Eli's son and Eli's unwillingness to address it. And I would characterize Eli's failure to deal with his boys this way. He was okay with silencing the voice of God. Rather than dealing with his boys, he was okay with silencing the voice of God. He took that fork in the road of silencing God. And first of all, we see this kind of manifested in that Eli's response to his son's wickedness was totally insufficient. It was just insufficient. In fact, it's kind of an unbelievable response to uh, what is really going on. His sons were sleeping with women at the tent's entrance. Uh, That's not good. Uh, His response to everything they were doing was ridiculously lenient. His sons were guilty of greed, of extortion, of violence, abuse of power, sexual misconduct. You would have to wonder, okay, Eli, what would they have to have done for you to take some kind of course of action here? They're doing about everything wrong you can do and, and, and call yourself a priest of God. This sexual misconduct, by the way, carried some more implications, uh, some more gravity. Um, the nations around Israel they often had what were called temple prostitutes. And part of their form of religious activity then was this sexual activity of this temple prostitute with the worshipers, you know. And they were bringing that right into the house of God. It was a grievous thing. They should have been guarding the hearts of the people. Phineas and Hophni, they should have been guarding the hearts of the people, but instead they were users and abusers. Why didn't Eli address this issue? Was he just a nice guy? Was he naive? What was going on? Why didn't he address this issue? Well, I think he did something that we often do ourselves. He just chose to look the other way. Eli chose to look the other way. Any of you remember the sitcom that was uh, popular a long time ago called Hogan's Heroes? Anybody ever watch that? Yeah, it's about some allied uh, men that were supposedly prisoners of war in a, in a Nazi prison camp during World War II, and really what they were doing is all kinds of covert operations from this uh, prison camp, and there was this one lovable guard. You remember his name? Schultz, Sergeant Schultz. And he would always see them doing these mischievous, devious, covert operations, and he would say what? I see nothing. I see nothing, and his cheeks would flap. I see nothing, you know. Uh, it, it was just, it was funny in that sitcom, and it was uh, uh, very appropriate, but you know what? It's not funny in the case of Eli. When his boys are doing all these grievous, wrong things, and he basically says, I see nothing, I give them a, or he gives them a mild rebuke, that was ridiculously lenient. Um, if he would have really took the matter to heart, he would have had to do some restraining of the boys. He would most likely had to remove them from their priestly duties in office, which would have been appropriate. If he was listening to the voice of God, that's what he would have done. But here's what I think he chose. And I think this is what we do too sometimes in some degree to some situations. He chose peace with his sons 
over listening to God. He chose peace with his sons over listening to God. You ever been in that kind of dilemma in life where it's just easier to silence the voice of God in your life than deal with uncooperative flesh and blood? Or you just say, well, it's just not that big a deal. I'm not going to make it a big deal. And you silence the voice of God rather than dealing with some issue right before you because it just seems more pragmatic and easy. And we can look at Eli and we can kind of shake our heads and go, wow, wow, wow. But that's not my point today. My point is is for you to walk out of this service and say, Eli was a bad person. That's not my point. My point is for us to take a moment and begin to ask ourselves a question, a very probing question. How is the voice of God silenced in my life? Do we sometimes become a bit like Eli? How is the voice of God silenced in my life? Let me ask you some pointed questions in regard to this question. Is the voice of God silenced in your life in the hopes of keeping harmony with those around you? At times, are you saying, well, you know, it's just not that big a deal to say anything or do anything right now because I just want to keep harmony with my friends or my family. Are you silencing the voice of God because you just don't want to raise some issues around some people that you care about and you care about their opinion? I'm not telling you to be obnoxious. I'm not telling you that every other word out of your mouth should be Jesus said this or God said this, but there should never be in us one bit of being ashamed of Christ or having to hide him. There should be a ready praise and witness of Christ coming from our spirits. I think we silence the voice of God frequently in our lives because it's politically correct or whatever we want to call it or politically expedient. Sometimes I think we silence the voice of God because to heed it means you'd have to address something in your life. A, a problem, something that you know God is trying to address, so it's just easy or not to acknowledge that the Holy Spirit is convicting you or whatever be the case, and you kind of silence the voice of God. Sometimes I think we silence the voice of God because we're fearful of what God may ask us to do. If we really begin to listen to the voice of God and the promptings of the Holy Spirit, maybe he'll ask us to do some crazy stuff or whatever, and we silence that voice. So here's what I want us to do for a few moments. Well, actually for 30 seconds. I want you to think about your own life. I want you to reflect on it for just a few moments. And really ask yourself this question. Am I silencing the voice of God in my life? Is there an area in my life where I really am silencing you, God? I'm not listening to you. I don't want to hear from you, whatever the words you want to use there. I want you to take about 30 seconds and just consider this question. Because we can look at Eli and we can shake our heads and we can wag our fingers or whatever and say, bad, bad Eli, that won't do us any good. What we need to do is look at our own lives in regards to, to Eli and we need to do a little bit of comparison and contrast. And so just take a moment here, 30 seconds I'm going to give you, and think about this, and I'm going to close this moment uh, in collective prayer. So go ahead and bow your heads and do that.
Lord, I want to pray that we would never, ever silence your voice in our lives. In fact, I want to pray today that you give us ears to hear and hearts that are receptive to your voice. I, I pray that we would be people who become very sensitive to the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit. I just pray, Lord, that, uh, that your voice would become something that we recognize and hear frequently and heed frequently. God, I pray that unlike Eli, who, who chose to uh, you know, pacify his sons and to ignore the situation and all that kind of thing, uh, I, I pray that in, in contrast to that, we would be willing to, to address hard situations in our lives, um, to listen to what you say about them, and then to act accordingly. Um, God, I just wonder how often we do really silence you. And maybe it's unintentional. Maybe we're just so busy we don't hear, or maybe we're so wrapped around the axle with issues that that anxiety is blocking you out. Whatever be the case, Lord, I pray that even now you begin to do this work deep in our hearts where we can hear your voice, we can recognize your voice, and, and, and we begin to be ones who listen to that um, versus the loudness of this world. I just pray these things in Jesus' name and by his blood. Amen. Well, now let's take a little bit of a look at Eli, or excuse me, at uh, Samuel. On the one hand, in this story, you have the two sons of Eli, they're scoundrels, and Eli's not willing to address them. But on the other hand, woven into the story is this, this coming to age, this coming to the forefront in the nation of Israel of Samuel, this great prophet. I, I want to just read his account to you here from uh, Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. It's 1 Samuel 3, verses 1 through 10. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is what? Listening. Speak, for your servant is listening. Whereas Eli could be characterized by one who came to that fork in the road, do I silence God's voice or listen to God's voice? He silenced it. Samuel did what? Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel could be characterized as the one who took the fork in the road of listening to the voice of God. Listening to the voice of God. Something really important happened to Samuel in this little uh, account I just read to you. He had grown up in church, so to speak. He had grown up around godly people. His mom was godly. Hannah was a godly woman. He got to witness 
the people of God coming and giving sacrifices. He got the witness worship up close. But you know what he had not experienced yet? The voice of the Lord for himself. He had not yet had that experience. And this happened in this account. And this brings us to sub-point A. Samuel came to the moment when he learned to hear the voice of God. To hear the voice of God. And it's really a wonderful example of what you and I are to experience when it comes to God. We're to experience the voice of God speaking to us in our lives. Now, in my own life, I have found this to be the case. God's ready to interact. God's always available. He's always there. You know what the problem is? Me. I'm busy. I'm distracted. Whatever. I'm not in the mode of listening. Samuel was in the mode of what? Listening. And he was willing to hear God's voice. We don't hear God's voice, I'm convinced of, simply because we're not willing to listen, to still ourselves and hear God. And it's apparent that Samuel was different from Eli in that he also heeded God's word. Not only did he hear God's word, but he heeded God's word. It became how he did life. And, and, and this is evident in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 19 through 21. Let me read those for you. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. A commentary I have said this about this, this, this phrase, he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. It, what this means is that the word of Samuel proved to be the reliable word of God himself. And so therefore, he was recognized as a pro prophet who spoke the very words of God. And this brings us to the subpoint B. Samuel learned to heed the voice of God, and none of God's words then fell to the ground. Now, heed means to pay close attention to and act according to. So Samuel, in contrast to Eli, he heard God, paid close attention to God, and did his life according to God's word. So here we go. We got this comparison and contrast. We've got Eli, his two scoundrel sons, not listening to God, silencing the voice of God. That took him down that path in life to judgment. Samuel, on the other hand, as a young man grew up, hearing the word of God, heeding the word of God, listening to the voice of God, that took him down the other fork in the road, and he ends up being a mighty prophet in Israel, and his words did not fall to the ground because they are the words of the Lord. So this comparison and contrast here is striking, but I don't want to end here. What I want to talk with you about for a few moments is how do you and I then hear and heed the words of God. I think it would be missing the mark entirely if we just stopped right now. Because you'd go, oh, how do I do it? Right? How do I actually hear and listen and all that kind of thing? Okay, I see Eli bad, Samuel good. I don't know how to get on Samuel's side of the equation. So I want to talk with you for a few moments on how to hear and heed God's voice. I think it takes place on two general areas in life. It takes place on the personal level, and it takes place on the public level. Let me talk with you on the personal level and what I mean by that word first. I think on the personal level, if we want to hear and heed God's voice, we need to really begin to practice spiritual disciplines. 
This isn't boring, just stay with me, please. Because if these disciplines are really done like they're meant to be done, they become life-giving lines to hearing the voice of God in your life. They're not some mundane, old, out of fashion Christian thought. This is how we connect with God on a personal level. It begins with prayer. Prayer. And last week, why I talked so much with you about Hannah and her prayer life was because she's such a wonderful spiritual example of how we should engage God in honest prayer. God just wants to hear from us, wants to have exchange with us. And it's not about a format. It's not about a certain way of saying it. It's about having a heart open to God. And prayer is not so much about the methodology. You can do quiet prayer. If you like to go in your closet and pray in quiet, that's great. I usually take a nap, but that's great if that's what you like to do. If you like to pray more actively while you're running or cleaning the bathroom or doing dishes, that's okay. If you like to pray while you're driving your car, that's okay. If you like to pray, you know, during lunch break, whatever, the methodology isn't as important as this the receptivity of your heart. The receptivity of your heart. Because oftentimes we go to God in our prayer life wanting to get our will accomplished, wanting to get our problems solved. And basically, the, 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 if you want to begin to really hear the voice of God, you've got to go to prayer life entirely differently, having an openness to hear the will of God for you. See, prayer isn't about getting your will done. It's about aligning your will with the will of God. It's about hearing from God. And so prayer needs to take on a little bit different hue. It needs to become something where you begin to say, God, align my heart with your heart. Align my, my spirit with your spirit. And that the prayer begins to become a, a very different kind of endeavor. And if you do that, guess what? You will hear the voice of God. He will begin to speak to you if you'll have that attitude. A second word, and this is a word I really, really am, am working on in my own life, and that this word is quiet. Practice the spiritual discipline of quiet. Now, I don't mean quiet, although quiet sometimes is okay. What I'm talking about is still the noise, still the activity. Get rid of all the anxiety and say to God, I have no agenda today, but I just want to worship you, and I just want to love you, and I just want to see your face. Get rid of all that noisiness. We are so noisy, aren't we? Everywhere you go, there's noise, 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 noise. Anxiety. I, I think sometimes I have these mild anxiety attacks. It's just overwhelming the amount of anxiety that we face. And there comes a moment where you just lay down agenda. No agenda, God, no agenda. I'm quieting my spirit before you, and I just want to connect with you. Then you're going to begin to hear and heed the voice of God. Thirdly, is fasting. I'm on a roll here, aren't I? I love to eat. You like to eat? I like to eat. I praise God I have taste buds. Even bland food with a little salt tastes good, amen? But every now and then, you need to skip a meal or two. That's called fasting and in place that moment with a seeking of the Lord, a prayer time, a reading of his word, whatever it may be, what you want to do is use that physical hunger 
that you'll feel. And you use that physical hunger as a spiritual hunger. You, you can just acknowledge it. God, I'm really hungry right now. I wish I had a steak and a potato or whatever. Just say it. You're thinking it anyway, right? Like I long for that food? That's how my soul wants to long for you. I want to hunger for you that way where that's all that's on my mind. Give me that kind of spiritual hunger. And that becomes a medium then of hearing and heeding the voice of God. It raises your spiritual antenna is what it does for you. And lastly, I didn't want to leave the word of God out. Of course, that's super important. We need to practice meditation and memorization. You got to make it a habit to take God's word in. But more than that, I I like to focus in on a key verse or two um, that are speaking to my life. And I just like to really, really pray those and roll them around in my mind and chew on them. So it just sticks to me. Years ago, when President Reagan was around, he was called the Teflon Man because all the media attacks and all the the things they would say would just kind of roll off him. Do you remember that, some of you who are older? He was called the Teflon Man. I know I use these analogies, and everybody looks at me like, what was that? I don't remember that. Um, Well, we need to be the opposite of the Teflon Man when it comes to God's Word. We need to be the sticky man. We need to be that old frying pan where the Teflons wore out. You try to make your egg in there, you know what I mean? The most of the egg gets left in the pan. We need to be that when it comes to God's word. It needs to stick to us. It needs to just, you know, stuck to you. Got what I'm saying there? We need to, we need to ruminate on it. We need to roll it over in our minds. Um, during the course of this fall series, we've been looking at Joshua 1.9. I can't tell you how many times I have spoken that verse to myself. Has the Lord not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord will go with you wherever you go. Amen? And I tell you, I've been looking at some situations and my heart wants to fear. I've been looking at some situations I get anxious and right away I begin to think, oh, that's right. God has commanded me. Be courageous and strong. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged for I'll go with you wherever you go. And that needs to become a way that you hear God's voice, right? That's how you're hearing God's voice. He's speaking to you. Fear isn't of the Lord. Anxiety is not of the Lord. That's junk. You want to hear the truth of God, it needs to penetrate your soul. Meditate and memorize key verses. So that's the private side. Let's talk on the public side now. Let's talk on the public side for just a few moments. Participation in body life. Participate in body life. That's one of the ways to hear and heed the word of the Lord. Today is one of the ways you hear and heed the word of the Lord. Going to growth groups is one of the ways you can hear and heed the word of the Lord. As you rub life on life with other people, you can hear and heed the word of the Lord. Um, That's why growth groups are so important to us. It's a way of hearing God's voice in your life. And that's why every week we have someone out here at the Growth Group Center. If you want to join a growth group right now and you're not in one, go out and see Pastor Dave, go out and see Taryn, and they'll get you signed up. But I tell people this. You want to hear God's voice? Hang around God's people. If you don't want to hear God's voice, don't hang around God's people. Pretty simple, isn't it? I have learned so many profound things in my life by simply hanging around God's people. Next, serve. Serve. Here's why I say this is a public thing. 
Jesus Christ came to serve, not to be served. We collectively, as a body of Christ, are to adopt the mentality that we're in service to Jesus Christ. Now, here's why service is so important. As you begin to, to do for God, you begin to ask different questions. You begin to have different concerns. The Bible says, where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. This is a principle that transcends just money. When you serve and put time into something, guess where your heart goes? To that thing, to those people, to that cause. Amen? And you begin to ask different kinds of questions. How do I look like Jesus here, God? How do I act correctly? And you know what will happen? The voice of God will come into your life. Lastly, listen to unlikely sources. God's voice comes through the most unlikely sources. It could be a Walmart clerk. It can be a neighbor. I remember when I was a young engineer at 3M, I was really, really uh, trying to get my foul mouth under control. I'd become a Christian, but I still had a little bit of a temper mouth problem. And one day at work, a, a, a fellow worker came to me and said, hey, I know that you're trying to follow Christ and all that, but you say this word. It's really a bad word. You should quit saying it. It was a crude word, I'll admit it. Wasn't all that bad. And my first thought was, who are you to judge me like this? Blah, blah, blah. And immediately God said, I told him to tell you that. I said, oh. <laughs> and everybody said, that's not a good word. I'll just drop it from my vocabulary. See, God speaks to unlikely sources if we have an open, receptive heart. So, so think about this. How to, heed, how to hear and heed the word of God. First of all, on the personal level, prayer and quiet and fasting, memorization, meditation on the public level, participation in the body of Christ, uh, serving with one another, and hearing from unlikely sources. Those are some ways that we can actually begin to listen hear and heed the voice of God. I want to close with a word of prayer. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord God, I want to thank you for the uh, comparison and contrast of Eli the priest and Samuel the prophet. Man, Eli silencing your voice took him to a very, very, very troubling destination in his life. One of, of judgment and, and heartache. And then we see Samuel as he listened to your voice, go down that other path, and you blessed his life, and none of his words fell to the ground. What I pray today, God, is that you grace us to have the same kind of sensitivity to your voice as Samuel had. Grace us to hear and heed your voice. Help us to still ourselves and listen. Help us to use some of the things we talked about today uh, to open up that receptivity uh, to your voice. But more than anything, may we be people that just hear your voice, God. Holy Spirit, we pray for this work to be done in us. We love you, Lord Jesus, today. Tell you what, God, I look out at this crowd of folks, and I, I, I have affection for them. I'm caring about them tremendously, but I'm like not even on the scale of how much you care and love them. And I wanna, I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful for, for, for who you are. And today, Jesus, as we leave this place, we know that you care for us. We know that you have come to bring us life, not death. Help us to listen to your voice and to realize it's such a gift. Open our hearts up then to be filled with your Holy Spirit. Open our lives up to be directed by that Holy Spirit. 
that lives within us by that person of the Holy Spirit. And God, may we just become this people here who live and abide in great faith, hearing your voice. In your name, Jesus, and by your blood. And all God's people said, hey, have a great week. We love you.